You may be seated. So grateful for our worship team, our pastor of worship. And just as we come together these Sunday mornings, and, and I have the privilege of being here in the pulpit, thank you. I have to say that this morning was particularly sweet in worship. And I, Stone, you bless my soul. You bless my soul. We're in week three of our benediction series, this combination with Advent, and our focus today will be joy. An unnamed poet wrote this. He said, joy, joy, unshakable joy, not quenched by the rain of sadness. Joy, shining through the dark of night. Joy, bursting the fog of confusion. Joy like the bright sun in the morning. Joy like cool water in the desert. Joy. I'm reminded of what that angelic host and that angel said to the shepherds the night that Jesus was born. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. There's no replacement for the encouragement, the hope, the courage, the gratitude, the love, the endurance that joy brings. Enduring joy is a testament to grace. The grace that's the gift of God. It's a constantly renewing blessing. Joylessness, on the other hand, is a sad condition of a fallen world where people search for joy where it will never be found. In His final days on earth, Jesus expressed His desire for His disciples. He said that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. True joy is vertical. True joy is internal. True joy is stable. It's a gift of grace. Sir Isaac Watts wrote in that amazing hymn, Joy to the Lord. And by the way, that was not intended to be a Christmas song. But he wrote this. He said, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let Every, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Paul Tripp wrote this. He said, everybody searches for joy somewhere. God has placed this quest in each of our hearts. It is there to drive us to him. It is there because we were made for him. But sadly, in their lifelong quest for joy, Tripp says, most people ignore God. In their God amnesia, they look for joy where it cannot be found. And because they do, they always come up empty. It's important to remember this morning, beloved, that you can search for joy in only two places. Either you find joy to the fullest in a vertical sense 
towards the Father, looking to Him. Or you're shopping for it, or looking for it horizontally down here. This created world and all of its delights can nowhere match the joy that your heart longs for. The delights of this world, the amazing sunsets, the beautiful vistas that we experience, all of those were carefully crafted to point us to the One who can give us joy. And the One alone who can satisfy our heart's delight. God alone can bring the deepest joy and contentment to your heart. God alone can give you a reason for getting up in the morning and a purpose for living. God alone can infuse our hearts with hope no matter what circumstances may bring. Our scriptural text this morning will be taken from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We'll search for the reasons that Paul could express such joy as he wrote to this beloved church. And we'll end with our benediction for the day. A benediction that will give practical insight and guidance, instruction on the title of the sermon today, How Then Shall We Live? How to Live a Life under the power of the Holy Spirit, which leads to a life infused with joy. Are you ready to go with me? Let's begin. It'll be on your screen. It's Philippians 1. We'll begin in Philippians 1, verse 3. Paul says, and he's greeted everyone, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. As I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking of the things that Paul could have been remembering as he wrote and penned these words. I'm reminded that he and his traveling partners had traveled all across what's modern-day Turkey. And the Lord had prevented them from going to certain places, and they kept going until they could go no further. They were at the coast. And by the way, then the vision came, and that's another sermon for another day. Keep going. Stay on the road. <laughs> so they get to Troas and the vision comes. The ancient city of Troy. A Macedonian man said, come over, we need some help. So Paul and Silas, Timothy, they pick up Luke there. They travel to Philippi. They meet an amazing woman named Lydia by the river. They worship. Days go by. They're in the marketplace. Maybe you remember the story of the slave girl who was possessed by a demon. The spirit of Python. Apparently she could foretell the future. She was making a lot of money for her owners and Paul finally gets irritated. And I don't want to preach Philippians today, but I think what, why he's irritated at her is she's saying in the language, these men are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Listen, folks, there's only the way. <laughs> there's not a way. And her, the demon was cast out of her. She was made whole. They were beaten because her owners lost their means of income. 
And they were singing songs in the key of midnight. And God delivers them gloriously. And I'm wondering if this is the things that Paul is remembering as he's writing to them. It's one of the prison epistles of Paul. And 12 times in the ESV translation, in this little book, he uses the word joy or rejoice. It's interesting because the circumstances while Paul's writing this is he's under house arrest. He's chained to a praetorian guard. And that group of guards would be equivalent to what we would say SEAL Team 6. These were elite soldiers. And he's chained to them by this little chain that prevents his escape. 24-7, he's chained to this guard. But he tells his brothers in Philippi, the church, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. They knew of his circumstances. There were sermons preached while the Apostle Paul was in chains. And he constantly made reference to the cause of Christ. So these were his circumstances as he's writing this church, this letter full of joy. It's full of rejoicing. It's full of celebration in Christ. It's full of gratitude in the midst of difficult circumstances. One of the things, beloved, that I've learned from Scripture and experience across the years is that people who really flourish, people who live at peace, people who live with a generous spirit, people who live with a joyful heart, these folks have learned the transforming power of gratitude of saying thanks, of saying to others, most importantly, to the Lord along the way. Things like, maybe this has come to your mind, it comes to me often by the grace of God. I thank my God every day for what He's done through Christ Jesus. People who live with that gratitude and blessing, saying to others, I appreciate you. And so guess what Paul is doing as he's writing back to this church? He reflects that and look at these verses beginning 3 and 4 and 5. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. There it is. Because of your partnership. By the way, they partnered with him in prayer. They partnered with him in giving. They partnered with him in suffering. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so here's the first thing I'd like, I want you to learn with me today. If you're a note taker, it's the first note in your handout is that God intends for our lives, individually, our lives and our church. In other words, our lives together in the body of Christ. He intends for our lives and our church to be filled with joy. Paul says, I make my prayer for you with joy. And this theme of joy runs like a river throughout this entire book. It's in every chapter. In the first chapter, he says, 
that I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Here's where Paul was when he wrote those words. He wasn't sure that he was going to live or die. It was uncertain. He told the church, he said, for me to live is better for you to remain in the flesh. But then he says some things. And, and by the way, this book is the Christian bumper sticker book, is it not? <laughs> Often misused, but that's another sermon for another day, right? He says, it's better for you if I live. But then he says this. He says to die is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Here's the second example. It's in the second chapter. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul desired that that church would remain unified in unity of one mind, one spirit. And then on the heels of that statement that he writes, he expresses and gives us the doctrine of Christ, how He's truly God and truly man. Amazing. Third chapter, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He's writing this after a, a giving an account to the church about their beloved pastor and friend Epaphroditus. You see, Epaphroditus had traveled from Philippi to Rome Knowing that Paul was in prison, he brought an offering with him. A fragrant offering, Paul calls it. This was not a rich church. But they gave out of their need. And the church had heard that as Epaphroditus traveled and he arrived there, he was sick. Sick unto death. And Paul says something really interesting. And by the way, this is a man that God had used in Ephesus, that claws were laid upon his body and they were put on the sick and they recovered. This is that man. He said, God had mercy on Epaphroditus and on me as well, lest my sorrow be compounded upon my sorrow, upon sorrow. Paul tells the church and reminds them that only the Philippian church from the very beginning of his ministry, had partnered with him in giving. And then Paul writes something that I think is very counterintuitive as he's talking to the church about this relationship, this giving. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. As I was preparing this sermon, reading this verse, I thought about where we are as a church right now. Our pastor has given us an update on our building situation until everyone knows. Maybe you know or are aware as, as Pastor Bobby has told us that there's a, a difference uh, between what our leadership is comfortable in terms of borrowing and where we are right now currently. And I want to remind you this morning, and this is, I believe this is from the Lord, is that my sentiment echoes the sentiment of Paul exactly. We don't seek the gift, but we seek the fruit that will increase to your credit. And then it gets to chapter 4, 
And he just lays it out there. He he says, look, you all, learn the lesson of joy. And this is what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, again, I will say, rejoice. May I just say, church family, one of the things I love about this church is that it's a joyful church. I'm not talking about a plastic, fake disingenuous, inauthentic kind of joy. That doesn't please the Lord. It doesn't do anybody any good. I'm talking about the kind of joy that grows out of a personal relationship with Christ that's fueled by the Holy Spirit that gets expressed in service to others that loves relationships within the church. There's just a joy that permeates this fellowship. Now that doesn't mean when you come to church or you go to your group that you're always happy. There's a difference between happiness and joy, right? Happiness is based on current circumstance in our life. It's fleeting. It's ever-changing. But joy goes deeper than that. It grows out of a relationship with the Lord. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And for those of us that follow Christ, the Holy Spirit is alive inside of us. So we have access to all of His gifts. There's no pressure on us for somehow to produce joy. So even when your circumstances have caused you pain, have caused you suffering, have caused anguish, hurt, or loss, you can bring that to church. And it can live right alongside genuine, refreshing energizing joy in the Lord. Joy and deep pain and suffering go side by side in our everyday lives. There's tension created by that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to get rid of one of them. (laughs) But the Lord says through Scripture, no. So can we just agree, beloved church, that no matter the circumstances in our lives, that day by day, we're going to plug into the Word and to the Spirit and allow a river of joy to refresh our souls. And when we gather together, we're going to come and make this a fellowship of joy by the Lord's grace and for His glory. Can you say amen to that? There's a great story that came out of the 2013 New York City Marathon. There was a little lady, 86 years old, and she was running her 25th New York City Marathon. While she was running, she fell at the 20-mile marker. She hit her head. She got herself up, and she eventually finished almost eight hours into the event. 
And the next morning, she went on the Today Show and was interviewed by Al Roker. And she called Al Roker her buddy. She'd made over 10, 10 appearances on the Today Show. They were fascinated by this precious old lady running this marathon. And uh, after her appearance that day, she went back to her hotel room to rest. She laid down on her bed with her running shoes on. And she never woke up. She died. A few years earlier, during one of those events, one of those appearances on the Today Show, Al Roker had asked her about running marathons at her age. He asked her, what, what's your exercise regimen? How do you train? How do you prepare? And this is what she said. She said, every day I wake up at 4 a.m., I drink my coffee while I read my Bible. I have my alone time with the Lord. I'm, she went on to say, I'm filled up with His Word. And she says, then I set out on an eight-mile pre-dawn run. And she finished that segment by saying this, I've learned through the years. When you wake up, it can either be a good day or a bad day. And I always say, it's going to be a good day. She said, I choose joy. And over and over and over and over again, until the day she died, she chose joy. By the way, her name was Joy Johnson. <laughs> Choose joy. So Paul says in this last, last chapter, once again he says, finally, brothers, and by the way, that's, that's men and women. Finally, he's wrapping up this letter to this beloved church he, this letter that has an emphasis on joy and rejoicing in spite of circumstances. And he says, think about these things. And here's the principle that he lays out in this benediction. It's, it's in your notes. Discipline your thinking. That's his call. Discipline your thinking. That word thinking is to, it means to keep a mental record of events for the sake of future action. Paul gives an eightfold filter. And I want you, if you're a note taker, to write these words in because in the writing, I think they may stick in our hearts and minds. So when we discipline our thinking, we ask, first of all, is it true? If what I'm thinking about is not true, it's not worthy of my thoughts. Secondly, is it honorable? That word honorable means, is it noble? Is it worthy? Is it esteemed? Is it respected? Third is, is it just? So I control my thoughts and discipline my mind. I need to ask, is it just? That means, is it right? Does it fulfill beauty? Does it fulfill responsibility? Is whatever I'm thinking about just and right? Fourth, is it pure? It means morally pure, sexually pure, ceremonially 
pure. A kind of purity for all of life. Fifth, is it lovely? In other words, is it amiable? Is it attractive? Is it winsome? Does whatever I'm thinking about call forth love in others who might know about it? Sixth, is it commendable? That word means, is it admirable? Is it of good report? Do others say good things about it? Seventh is, is it excellent? Is it more than mediocre? Is it virtuous? Does it include moral excellence? And last of all, is it worthy of praise? Is it praiseworthy? What Paul is attempting to do is to build a vision of the kind of things that we ought to allow in our mind. He's saying that some of the things that would come into your mind are not good for you. So put up some filters and discipline your thinking. Well, you may say this morning, well, pastor, how's that possible? How can I discipline my thinking? I've tried that. And by the way, with any benediction, we've learned this from our pastor in the first sermon of these series, with any benediction, it's the advent of Christ that moves the benediction from aspiration to reality. So the benediction we've learned today, how to discipline our thinking, is only possible through the finished work of Christ. And so, again, you may say, well, I've tried this. I've tried to discipline my thinking, and it just hasn't worked. I think there's a key that's helpful in this wrestling found in this little book. He writes in this letter that we have the very mind of Christ. It's the catalyst. It's the impetus that enables us to discipline our thinking. There's a war going on in each of us that follow Christ. All of us have a carnal mind wrecked and ruined by the curse of sin. Amen? But if the Scripture is true, then we also have the mind of Christ right alongside, at the same time, in the same space. I'm reminded of one of the other stanzas of that hymn, Joy to the World. Isaac Watts writes this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow far as the curse is found. There's the answer. Ask yourself today, what was the mission of Christ Jesus? What was the promise of that rugged cross that was stained with His blood and the empty tomb? What's the scope of the grand redemptive story, the work of Christ? The words of this grand old hymn capture it with such power. While Jesus did come to make His blessings flow, 
That's not possible unless you add, far as the curse is found. All of us today are experiencing the effects of that curse, are we not? And Christ Jesus came, beloved, please listen to this. Christ Jesus came to unleash His restoring grace to the furthest extent of sin. He came to restore every single thing that sin has broken. It's just as the Apostle John wrote that wonderful work of Revelation. As he's quoting the words of the One who's seated on the throne. By the way, these words should provide great comfort to our souls today. Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. In amazing grace, He welcomes you to surrender all your hopes, all your dreams to Him today. In love, He beckons you to follow Him. And again today, he promises you joy in the midst of circumstance. It's what He came to live, die, and rise again to give you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what You've done through Christ Jesus. Thank You that as far as the curse was found, Your blessings flow. I thank You that You took that curse. You bore the wrath that we so richly deserve. And because of that finished work, we can experience joy. Unspeakable joy that's full of glory. Father, I believe there are men and women in this room within the sound of my voice that need to hear that today. Hear from Your Word. Father, may joy, may that river of joy permeate their soul this morning and draw them close to You. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen.